Good morning, everyone. It's me, Dave McMahon. Welcome to Unleashed. Hope your morning's been good to you so far. Hope you uh, woke up and took your dog for a walk. That's what I did. Goddamn hot outside today, sweating my man boobs off. I am thrilled to tell you that Eric Johnston is in the studio with me here at 4680q.ca and 4680q.com. Eric hails from uh, Hamilton, Ontario. He was born at St. Joe's Hospital, which is where I was born. So that's good. We got that in common. Uh, Eric is a comedian, actor, professional MC, and a whole lot more. Uh, welcome to my Unleashed podcast, Eric. Hello. Welcome to the greenhouse you have here on the uh, Chrysler <laughs> Avenue in Niagara Falls. I'm sweating bullets. We haven't even started yet, but let's get into it. 4680Q. Yeah, we're going to sweat our nuts off. You know what? We need a fan for our nuts. Well, you just gave me a cream-filled donut, and now I have to sweat out that cream-filled donut over the next 45 minutes with you. And look at your body. You're full of I'm muscle. Svelts. Yes, you're muscular, svelte. Muscular, good-looking, tanned. Yes. These are just what I'm saying about myself. I mean, I'll let you go ahead. And how tall are you? 6'1". 6'1". 245. Built like a twisted seal sex appeal, baby. Doghouse, like you're huge, man. You I'm work built, out every day. I'm built like Michigan J Frog. I'm top heavy and got skinny legs. <laughs> <laughs> How long you been working out? Uh, like On and off. Here's the thing about Eric Johnson's body: is I'm either jacked or fat. There's no skinny version of me, okay. so it just doesn't exist. I've never been skinny in my life. I never will be. Uh, so if I feel like I'm getting fat or you know sluggish or sloppy, I just hit the gym. And I'm seeing a personal trainer now. His name's Built by Barry Barry Vincent, and I see him three days a week. And you know, I is he hard on you? Is he hard well, on he's you? He's very hard because he makes me do legs, and nobody wants to do legs. I mean, I, 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 before I started working on with Barry, a strong wind could have taken me down because I had no base, <laughs> top heavy. Plus, I drink a lot, so if I go down, I'm going down like a you know brick shit house. Um, but I'll tell you, I, I, I used to do so. This used to used to be my split. It was back and buys, chest and tries, shoulders, repeat. No legs, no core, nothing. Just, just, yeah. just beach bot. Yeah. And now I see Barry three days a week, and we do upper, lower, and then a mix of the two. So we uh, we got random people walking by. Yeah, yeah. To them out the window. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. trippy, the trippy Niagara Falls uh, people. And they say those people must be dying in that sauna that they yeah. have here on Chrysler Avenue. <laughs> we're sweating. We're just talking comedy in my body. Really, is what we're doing in here. So you grew up in Hamilton. Correct. You were born in Hamilton at St. Joe's. I indicated uh-huh. that. I was born at St. Joe's. You still live in Hamilton today. Correct. And so, uh, how many siblings? Just one. Sister Holly, she's turning 40 this December, but yeah. she'll tell you she's Now, 99. is she into acting or stand-up comedy or some type of art? So, she's a performer herself, uh, not necessarily in my show business world, but she actually owns a vintage clothing company oh. called The Haberdashery, uh, and so she does all the trade shows and live vintage shows, and she's going to be appearing at Super Crawl this weekend in Hamilton, uh, so, uh, you nice. know, we're... Uh, she does all that kind of stuff, and then also she's a mortgage agent, so she's always talking to people and selling them mortgages. And yeah, she just told me my mortgage. My wife and I just bought a house. So Congratulations! Thank you very much. Well, I should say my wife and my mom bought a house. I just committed to uh, paying the mortgage. Uh, yeah, because you know what kind of comedian has a uh, three hundred thousand dollar down payment? Yeah. Not me. Yeah. Uh, so and they have the real jobs, the day the jobs. Real, yeah, God bless them. Uh, my mom's retired, and 
and my wife's a very successful real estate agent in Hamilton. So uh, my my wife's a real estate agent, my sister's a mortgage agent, so they do a lot of business together, and I just make people laugh on evenings and weekends. And you know, on whatever day today is, Wednesday morning. Today mornings. is hump day. Well, hump day, Wednesday mornings. And so I understand that you were raised by a professional wrestler. Correct. Tell us about this. So my father's the late great Canadian Hall of Fame professional wrestler by the name of Bullwhip Danny Johnson out of Hamilton, Ontario. My grandfather was the original Bull Johnson or the Bull or the Mongol, uh, which wrestled out of Maple Leaf Wrestling, CHCH Wrestling, very big here down in the uh, Niagara area. And, and um, you know, I, I grew up in the circus, so to speak, and there was always wrestlers around. And I had the bushwhackers swimming in my pool when I was a kid. And I have these pictures as an adult where my I would sit, you know my dad as a kid would say you know go take a picture with daddy's friend Randy and it turns out to be Macho Man Randy Savage and I found a picture as an adult with me as a four year old with Macho Man and and the Big Show he was the giant at the time Paul White and the Nasty Boys and Goldberg and Ric Flair and so my dad you met all these cool dudes. I met all his as a kid I didn't I was like Young Rock I didn't even really realize what was going on there just all my dad's friends you know my dad's best friend was johnny canine the notorious wrestler hell's angel mafia affiliate uh, blew up a police station in sudbury there's a great uh, episode of dark side of the ring about him but this is guy who was at my house all the time you know he's he was a leader of the satan's choice motorcycle club and he was at my house all the time swimming in our pool awesome environment you were raised in an awesome environment yeah that inspired you to do what you do today well it's true you know i, I as a kid watching my dad perform every uh every weekend i said i want to do that too but i was you know i was five six years old so i couldn't become a wrestler i mean I, there's midget wrestlers or little people wrestlers they're called midget wrestlers i could wrestle them uh but i was six so i uh, i didn't get into wrestling right away obviously i uh, i got into competitive dance which is similar but not but not similar at all um <laughs> dance music theater theater and then i got into film and television and then on november 1st 2010 i did my first ever set of stand-up comedy and i have not stopped since going like a freight train yeah i'd probably do 100 shows 100 300 200 shows a year all across north america and sometimes two three shows a night and and i i found my calling i started obviously in, in the dance and theater i knew i wanted to perform and my dad was a very funny wrestler he was a heel but he was probably one of canada's first funny heels yeah where he was a bad guy but he was funny while he did it which made the audience fall. so he had a very funny stick to him like his, yeah. his whole act was well, my dad was a classic heel, right? So he was a cowboy wrestler. But if you if you if you Google Bullwhip Johnson, you get you know pictures of my dad in cowboy hats and leather vests and chaps and all that kind of stuff. Now is he alive today? No, unfortunately, my dad passed away in two thousand three. Uh, nine days after my 13th birthday, oh. uh, which is awful, obviously, yes. but the trauma made me hilarious, and now I'm a touring stand-up comedian. So yes, you know what and I mean? you're doing great. That's how it. you do. When, that's how you deal with trauma in Hamilton. You just make people laugh. And yeah, you took laugh that. And, you took that incident, that pain, and yeah. and transformed it into uh, some good positive energy. Yeah, and you know what? Now my dad's career and my dad's life is all part of my career. You know, all my merch. All, my dad was bull whip. All my merchandise is whip, bull whip, whip wear. Uh, uh, all my tours have something to do with a bull. So there was the Eric Johnson Run with the Bull comedy tour, the Unstoppable comedy tour, the Untouchable comedy tour. Yeah. You know, I like to work in my dad's legacy and life into my current career as an homage and as a celebration of the man that he was, but also the man he could have been. You know, I've, I always say to my audience, I have a line in my show where I said, I say, my dad didn't make it in his lifetime, but he'll make it in mine. 
you know what I mean? He'll Love come that. along with me and on the journey and on the shows, and I, I bring a big poster on the stage that has a bull whip on it, and, you know, I, I just, that's the way I deal with my pain and trauma and, you know, my, my, my you know, losing your dad now, nine did, days after did, your 13th birthday, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. Now, as a child, <clears throat> did your dad ever have to, have to whip your ass with the bull whip? Mm. Of course not, right? Of course not, but I tell you, I have a line in my show where I said the cool thing about having a dad who's a professional wrestler is when he hit us, he didn't like actually hit us. You know what I mean? He was a professional wrestler. <laughs> Every six months, we got put through the table, but it was pre-cut. He knew what he was doing. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I uh, did. You have strict parents? Like, was he a strict dad? No, not at all. My mom was the my mom was the heavy. My mom was commercial account manager for a bank in Montreal for forty six years. So yeah. she she dealt with money and millions of dollars of distress every day. My dad was the big softy. My dad wouldn't even kill a spider in the house. You know, you might make my mom take the spiders outside and. Uh, my dad would take a spider for a beer, but he wouldn't kill it. I'll tell you that. So, um, you know, my, my dad was a big man, 6'5", 275, and ominous and, and uh, brooding and, and you know, all muscle and no bullshit. And, and, but I'll tell you, he cared most about his friends and his family and his, and his uh, you know, city of Hamilton. My dad, my dad, another thing that I take from my dad is my dad really put Hamilton on his back in terms of he's a wrestler from Hamilton and he would run wrestling events in Hamilton. Yes. And, you know, if there was a show if in Toronto, he'd make sure to put a secondary show on in Hamilton and give back to all the steel workers and community members. And my dad, when he wasn't wrestling, he drove truck for Fluke Transport, which is a huge transport company out of Hamilton. He would run shows for the Qantas Club in Hamilton. He worked for... Uh, he a youth offender group uh, called George R. Forest Group Homes out of Hamilton, and he taught them you know motivational speaking and all that kind of stuff, and how to be you know train and become wrestlers and stuff uh, to give their kind of youth at risk youth violence to a good use, and and you know taught them how to work out and train and and all that kind of stuff. So my dad would put Hamilton on his back, and I very much do myself. I don't know if that was a question, but I answered it for you anyway. Oh. You're making my job so easy, Eric. I'm so glad you're here Refer with me. Refer to the notes. Refer to the notes. What's next? You know, I have some bullet points, uh, <laughs> but uh, I want to just ad lib. Sure. But one of the things I wanted to ask you is, um, is uh, did, did did your parents have a, a sense of humor? I don't think we've touched on that. Yeah. Like in, in any depth. I know your mom was more strict, let's say, yeah, than yeah, the yeah. old man was. But do you have a bit of both their humor? Like, yeah, how? my mom's funny too. Don't get it twisted. She's uh, she's got a great sense of humor. But my dad was hands down one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah, you know, and a lot of people I've ever met. I wish I could have met him, but well, he's here well, with you he now lives, today. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he lives he lives in me and in, in you know in my heart and in my body and all my merch and stuff. But you know, my dad was like he was quick. He was he was uh, Rickles. He was Dangerfield. Oh, he was razor sharp. If my dad wasn't a professional wrestler. He had an excellent career as a stand-up comic and stand-up and comedy actor. My dad actually he starred in uh, a couple episodes of Bizarre with John Biner in the 1970s at a Toronto. Okay. Yeah, John Biner, Super Dave Osborne. And yes. Stuff. So he was what's called a day player. Uh, they'd come and bring him in for a couple sketches, and he played Babe Ruth on on uh, Bizarre a lot. Cause he enjoyed this adventurous life. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So when he wasn't wrestling, <clears throat> he was doing literally everything, including you know comedic acting. He was in a bunch of commercials. He was in a Rob A535 commercial, and he was in you know <laughs> Holy shit. a big professional wrestler. So, so yeah, but he definitely had the entertainment in him, and you know I run into my dad's friends too. I'm actually writing a book right now about my grandfather and my father and myself, 
I'm working with Greg Oliver, who's a legendary Toronto sports writer. He writes for Canoe Sports and Slam Wrestling, and he's written books on the Toronto Blue Jays and Maple Leafs and all the enforcers and, and the NHL. Uh, we're doing a book right now called Run with the Bull, Three Generations of Sports and Entertainment. Nice. And it, the profile is my grandfather's life in the 60s and 70s, and it profiles my father's career in the 80s and 90s, and then it picks up now with my you know, ex- now somewhat exploding stand-up comedy career. Yeah. So, uh, you know... Uh, my, but I'm interviewing a lot of my dad's friends, and uh, you know, them. I'm just like we're a quarter, and just saying, hey, just tell me everything you got, you know. And I need to put this in this book. And at, consistently, it was your dad was the funniest man I've ever met, and your dad really helped all of us by being that funny guy. That when we're going through tough times with work or our families or our girlfriends or our wives or whatever, your dad was always there with a quick one-liner. You know, my dad was just quick. Like, when, when do you most feel your dad is still with you and present? Like when you're on stage or just if you're relaxing? Yeah, I think a lot. <clears throat> Obviously, it's my job to my job to kind of keep him alive. I've taken that on personally, yeah. right? Um, but and I you're think consciously I, doing that all the yeah, time. Yeah, but I think when I'm on stage, it's the most. I, I went and saw a psychic years ago. And uh, she said, but she didn't know me, didn't know my story. I wasn't really Googleable at the time where you could find out all this information. This you are now. Yeah, I am now. <laughs> uh, but five, six years ago, I was not. And I went and saw a, uh, a psychic. And not only that, but the psychic was set up through my aunt. And she didn't even say my name first or last. Uh, she just said, I'm, I want to make an appointment for my nephew. And then I walked in you know, a couple days later. And I walked in, and the psychic went, whoa, first of all, I want to tell you, you look exactly like your father. And I was like, whoa. Jesus. Okay. Yeah, as soon as I sat down, and uh, <laughs> and then they said, I've never seen a, 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 someone in the spirit world so closely connected to a human, a living human being. She's like, you're, I feel like your father's shul- head is on your shoulder, and I have a bull tattooed on my right shoulder, which she obviously couldn't see. I was wearing a shirt. She's like, I yeah. feel like he's right there on your right shoulder, and he, yeah. I have a bull and on my right shoulder. And legit, he is. Yeah. And, uh, but the psychic said you know your father the, his favorite thing is he likes to come up on stage with you when they introduce you you walk out he comes with you and it was funny she said that and then I did a huge show at the Zoetic Theater in Hamilton 330 seats sold sold out and there's a video of me going that goes ladies and gentlemen please welcome Eric Johnson and there's a big music and I come out from the back and I'm not a big believer of, you know, when people go, oh, there's an orb in that photo, or there's a spirit in that photo. You don't buy into that shit. I don't necessarily <laughs> buy into that shit because a lot of those things are just camera flashes. But I'll tell you, there's a video on my Instagram where I walk out and there's this floating kind of orb that comes with me all the way to the one side of the stage as I'm waving everybody, comes all the way yeah. back. And That's then, not from a camera. No, no. And then when I get to the microphone, the orb lands on my right shoulder. And I go, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show or whatever, whatever I said to open the show. And I went, holy shit. So, like, in that way, I know that my dad, and the psychic said he loves coming on stage with you because he loves seeing all the faces like he used to see when he was in the wrestling ring. So He uh, loved the audience. He loved the crowds. We're hams. Johnston boys are hams. Now, as as a child, did you try? Did you aim to get people's attention? I mean, a lot of kids do this. They want to get someone's attention and they'll dance and be silly. Do you think you did that more than the average? Child, like, I think so, and I think I actually did. You try and entertain uh, the yeah, family to deliver. You know, like you know, yes. when, when you're over 
over at a friend's house and they, they get the kid and like come do that thing for company and the kids oh, I don't want to do it or they don't want to sing or they don't want to do it. I, yeah. had, I had a full routine my dad would call me down he'd introduce me like Johnny Carson and I'd come through the curtain I would do impressions dancing singing tap dancing I'd be working around I'd be walking looking for tips from people I'd put a hat out and everyone put loonies and toonies in rich, or, rich little voice impersonations that's right I was doing impressions I was doing Jim Carrey and Mike Myers and stuff and I actually just got the award that I might be working with Jim Carrey in a couple months so I'm going to tell him that exact story that you know when I was a kid uh, you know, I, I, Jim Carrey impressions. I would do the Ace Ventura, and I would do you know everything. I would do and Mike Myers. I would do all Wayne's World impersonations, and and I just uh, it, it, I had a show. You know what I mean? I had a show that I would deliver to to friends and family and whatever. So when I started doing stand up, I, I a quick story on how I got into stand up. I lied. I, I was out in Vancouver, and I had never done stand-up comedy before. I went never, never that, amateur night. Nothing. Never touched a microphone. I'm, in that way, I had been doing again dance, musical theater, theater, and performing my entire life. Uh, but I went to an open mic in Vancouver, and I watched the show. And I'll never forget Simon King headline. Byron Bertram was on. Patrick Maliha, Chris uh, Chris Quigley, or one of the Chris's was there. Chris Anyways, Kringle. Chris Kringle. He was on. It was a hot night. And uh, these guys are all my friends now. That's why I remember their names. But I remember after the show, I walked up to, to, to the promoter. His name's Johnny Scoop. I'll never forget him. It was his birthday. Johnny day. Scoop. Johnny Scoop. Classic, you know, crazy Vancouver comic. And I went up to him and said, uh, hey, are you running this thing? And he said, yeah. And I go, my name's Eric Johnson. I'm a stand-up comic from Toronto. I just moved here. I'm just looking for some stage time. And they said, well, who have you worked with? And I named a bunch of comics that I knew in Toronto for being an actor, because a lot of the actors in Toronto yeah, are also that you knew comics. of, not people you, you worked with. Of, never yeah, worked yeah. with. And I went, oh, I know this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy. And he was like, okay, come back next week. You got seven minutes. And that was November 1st, 2010, and I did the first set. And because I, first of all, bullshitted the guy. Uh, because I had I had lied and said that I was already a stand-up comic. I didn't have... Lying does pay. Of course. See? you go, A little bit of bullshit. Being from Hamilton never hurt nobody. It's got me, <laughs> got me this far. But um, I because I because I had lied, I couldn't be a nervous first-time comic. So I just acted like what I thought a comedian looks like and sounds like and moves like. Because I've been watching stand-up comedy my entire life on Just for Laughs and Comedy Club 54 and all that kind of stuff. So I went up there and did it, and it worked. I got decent laughs, not great laughs, but it was an open mic, so he just thought I was working on new material. So he went, okay, you're great. Come back next week. Come back next week. Come he back liked next you week. enough come to ask you to come yeah. back and, and, and again and again. And I haven't stopped since. I do. So, so, and here I had expected that you would tell us a story about how you did amateur comedy, uh, you know, for some time uh, at amateur night, and perhaps you, you you didn't get paid. Yeah, you know, well, you did it for was free. Very true. Uh, you know, the first five, four or five years of my career was I have a joke where I say I, I get paid in chicken wings. You know what I mean? That was a big night. If I, I come down to your Niagara Falls or Wellens Beer and, and Catherine's, wings. yeah, just, if you got two drink it, drink tickets and a pound of wings, you were a star. Now I'm actually sponsored by a wing company called Wings Up and they're paying me cash and chicken wings all these years later. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, that was the big part of my career. But, I excelled a lot quicker than everybody else because a comic's first five years on stage is just trying to get comfortable. They're just trying to get comfortable with the act of being on stage. It takes years but to I get had comfortable. Been doing that for twenty years before I As started a kid. doing stand up. So when I walked out there, it was just really tell, start telling your truth. And it took me time. I remember that my early material was very, you know, not awful. I, I look back at it now and I cringe at the time. It was okay, but you know. 
you know, I, I would do all that stuff and, and it just wasn't hitting. I wasn't making my next strides, you know, and and I just had a moment where I just started talking about, like, once that night I went on stage, I just started talking about my mom. And I said something like, my mom's not an alcoholic, she's just addicted to air miles. And, <laughs> and that got a huge laugh. And I went, oh, this is funny. You know, this is my life because my mom drinks a lot of white wine. Yeah. And she used to go, I got this one because it's got the most air miles. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? The, and now, LCB doesn't even do air miles anymore. But, no. um, you know, I said, start something like that. So I go talk about my family, my sister. My sister got kicked out of a sober yoga retreat because she got caught drinking in the woods. You know, I said that. And that, this is my life. And the audience is coming with me. They going, love that oh, shit, when you're, shit when you're attacking your own yeah, family. Just tell your truth, man. Talk about your dad. It took me years to talk about my dad on stage. Now he's a big part of my show. He's at least 15 minutes of my hour. I'm talking about my dad. Before in, before my dad was alive in my, in my set. In my comedy career, I didn't talk about my dad being dead. I just said, I didn't talk about him, period. So in that world, he was alive. Uh, but, you know, then you went on stage, you start talking about him, and then start talking about the fact that he is dead and all this kind of stuff. And that opens up the audience because now I have a whole fan base of of people who lost their parents at a young age. I've kind of become the poster boy comedian for fucking dead dads. You know what I mean? And dead parents and stuff. And it's a terrible place to be, but I'm very motivating for people. They come, like, oh, I came, I saw your show because I knew your story. I knew your dad passed away when you were It's identifiable. Yeah, you're very identifiable. Yeah, they can I'm relate guy, to you. Just a fucking Hamilton guy. You you're know what ver- I mean? you're relatable. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> Any of your buddies ever decide that they wanted to get into being a stand-up comic? Well, like I mean, kids you grew up with, for example. Yeah, so like, not I, really? I, I grew, everyone in Stony Creek is funny. You know what I mean? In Hamilton and stuff. It's They may not be on stage but they're still funny some as of fuck. the funniest people I know in the world work at Stelco you know what I mean because they, they are there's there are people who could be professional comedians they just never actualized that dream eventually we all went out they all went out and got jobs and I kind of went like well I'm going to stick with this comedy thing I think you know And but those my friends are funny my friends bust my balls all the time they keep me humble and a lot of my friends think that they oh, I can do that I can do that I can do that I think they're just busting my balls to get to say yeah, yeah but yeah I don't think any of them. Oh, if I said, "Please welcome my best friend," he would freeze up like a turtle, and then that'd be it. He'd never, never say that again because it's truthfully the hardest thing you can do in show business. It's you and a microphone. You got no backing band. You got no covers. You got no script. You got no sets. You got nothing. You have yourself and a microphone and your ability to tell a story. Yeah, and the That's audience it. is there. Yeah, right in front, right of, in front of you, staring There's, at yeah, you, going. And that's the thing. There is a little bit of grace because I'm kind of a known comic now. Whereas I walk out and they're excited to see me. So the first 30 seconds, I can get away with kind of not treading water, but kind of opening the show and welcoming everyone to the show and a couple quick little jabs and all that kind of stuff. But after 30 seconds, they're like, okay, what do you got for me? You know what I mean? It's It's the purest form of justice. People are like, was it funny or not? Because if it wasn't funny, we're not coming again. It's very cut and dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it. Did they laugh or did they not? Period. You know? And what was the worst heckling experience that you had? Have you had such a bad heckling experience that, like, the bouncer or security had to take somebody out? Where yeah. you, you, Where you yourself stood there and said, you know what, buddy? Get the fuck out of here. So I'm I'm pretty good at shutting down hecklers. I think because I'm a big guy. I'm 6'1". Six, six built like two, a massive fucking bodybuilder. Built, yeah, built like a jacked Michigan J-Frog. Um, I think people think I know how to fight. But I don't. I grew up dancing competitively and doing musical theater. But it looks like I know how to fight. So I don't get fucked with a lot. Because you look like a bouncer. Yeah, exactly. I'll throw you out of my own show. I don't give a shit. So, <laughs> But 
I also move too quick on stage. If you saw some of my videos, it's very Which rapid I have. fiery. It's you know, it's I always describe my show as firing me out of a cannon for ninety minutes. You know what I mean? It's it's my story, my background, my and it going. Bum, 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 bum. First of all, I don't say anything too controversial. I don't say anything on stage that anyone go, wait a minute, I don't agree with that because I'm not that style of comic. I'm not dirty and I'm not controversial. Uh, secondly, I move too quick for people to try to interrupt. You know, by the time they can go, oh, I don't agree with that. I'm already fucking four bits away from yeah. that. Catch so, up, buddy. Yeah, I'm yeah, on yeah. to something Everyone's else. With it. And that's a thing. Like, I have, you know, kind of, I would describe them as positive hecklers sometimes, where people are not trying to ruin the show. They're just having such a great time that they start yelling and hooting and hollering. They're feeling and, good on the booze yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And I hit with them on a thing, and I often have to tell people to shut the fuck up, not in a negative way, but because they're talking about the material. Like, I have a joke in my in my show where I talk about this 90s TV show called Art Attack. It was like a kid's show where he showed you how to do art every day after yeah, school. Yeah, never never watched it. Yeah, well, we were a little bit of a different age demo, yeah. you and I, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck off! <laughs> but it is true! I mention the show, and people lose their minds because they haven't heard the show be talked about in so very long that they start talking to each other about the show. Oh, I remember that one episode where he did this and he... They're having a he, meeting in yeah, the middle of your... Act. I can see you. I can hear you. Shut the fuck up. And I do. I, I kind of do it in a way where I'm still their buddy. My goal on stage is to be everybody's buddy. You know, what I mean, I want everyone to feel so comfortable that I'm the, their buddy. And so, we're all along in this together. Together. And if you are against it, you're ruining everybody else's time. You're not developing a hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're they're, they're your friends. It's a meeting. It's I am running the meeting, and you will agree with me or you will leave. It's yeah. kind of it's very it's very intense actually. <laughs> um, you know, and but sometimes, like I remember years ago, I some guy was yelling out, and I I said I said something along the lines of "Get this piece of shit out of here," because okay, so backstory: I used to I had a buddy who's a, a, a Red Devil, which is an affiliate gang member of the uh, Hell's Angels, and I had a buddy who used to come to all my shows, and he would bring like fifteen people with him. He'd bring six other bikers and six prostitutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. He would sit front row, nice, because he wanted that. Look at me, I'm also a celebrity moment. And I'd always give it to him because he'd always pay cash for tickets and he'd buy buckets of beer and stuff. So I would always go, and give it up for my buddy so-and-so on the front row. And he'd get his moment. Look at me, I'm a star too. I got so used to him being there. And I knew I had the back of these six bikers. uh, That the night I said... Hey, get this piece of shit out of here to the to another guy. I look over and gesture to my table full of bikers, and they weren't there. I forgot that they couldn't come. <laughs> oh, this one. shit. I look over, it's like a table full of, like, 100 pounds soaking wet, holding an anvil women. That and couldn't I, do yeah, fuck off. Yeah, I went, oh, shit. And I looked this way, and the guy was charging towards the stage. So I put my hand on the stool to swing it at him, because you, it's, you're in a precarious situation, obviously. I don't want to fight to begin with, but I don't want to fight in front of a room full of 200 50 people, especially because they're gonna watch me get my fucking ass kicked. So I reached down for the swing, swing the uh, stool, and someone grabbed him and tackled him from behind, and they got him out the side door. And they, I remember, they called the cops, and I finished the show, and I walked off stage, and the cops were out there, and they go, uh, "What happened?" I said, "I told him the truth." They go, "He's interrupting the show." I called him a piece of shit, and he charged the stage, and everyone agreed with me. They're like, "Yeah, that's what happened." And the guy goes, "Well, it's something like he's well." That's him. That's him calling. <laughs> he said, you talking about me? Uh, so he goes, uh, 
uh, he goes, the cop goes, so what was he doing? And I go, this is what he is. And the cop goes, well, sounds like he's being a real piece of shit. And I said, that's what I said. And then it was all fine. And they, <laughs> they left. But recently I had a guy, I had a guy overdose at one of my shows on edibles. There's a video on my YouTube channel. You go check it out. It says, someone was he eating the edibles like popcorn well, while he's watching you? I don't know what him? he was doing, but he showed up to the show. It was his 50th birthday. I felt terrible. His 50th birthday, he sold 10 tickets. He sat front row on my show, and before the show, he took a powerful edible, whether it was weed or mushrooms or whatever. I don't yeah. know what it was. And I was killing. I was cooking. Show was amazing. One of the best shows I've ever done in my career. And he was laughing so much that he couldn't catch his breath, and he fainted, and he nosedived in the front row in front of the stage. Jesus. Everyone thought he had a heart attack. So the whole room stopped, and I stopped the show immediately because a lot of musicians get in trouble and stuff when they don't stop the show if someone goes down. And Carry they, on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I immediately stopped the show and said, everyone stop, let's call 911, blah, 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 blah. They turned on all the lights. I cleared the stage. I went and sat backstage in the green room, and they got him out. They picked, Fortunately, the poor man, he fucking he shit his pants. He voided his bowels when he fainted. Poor so, fucker. Poor fucker. So he... It's his 50th birthday. He shit his pants and fainted front row of the comedy store or comedy show. So they picked him up and they dragged him out and they got him all water and whatever. And they said, what's going on? What's going on? Are you on any medication or whatever? And he said, no, but I was on a fucking edible and that comedian was too funny. So the ambulance kind of took him away or made sure checked his vitals, whatever. But all that happened in like a minute. You yeah. know, the ambulance, because it was downtown Toronto, so there was an ambulance right there. So right it didn't away. take up too much of the show yeah, time. <laughs> but the whole room stops, dead, and then the manager comes and goes, Eric, you ready? And I go, I'm going back out? He goes, yeah, let's go. So you recovered, the show so recovered. I walked back outside, the host went up and said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome again, Eric Johnston. And then I I walked on stage, and then there's a video of that, and it's on my uh, YouTube. If you just put Eric Johnston, you know, faints or whatever on YouTube, you'll find it. But that's how I had to reset the show. I and you can't plan for that. There's no script for that. There's no material for that. It was just what's funny right now. It's so spontaneous yeah. and it's so organic, and it's just happening. And everyone was part of a collective experience. So when anything I made fun of the situation, they were all there for it. So they thought it was equally as funny. And then that's how, how long did you bask? Did you bask in that as far as your pattern and what you said on the stage after that incident? Yeah, like, so it's like two, two, three minutes. I okay. really riffed on the room, and I said, I said, you know, uh, I said, what I'm most upset about is. He went down, but then nine people went with him. I go, well, you guys could have stayed because they all left and went them. I go, you're really cutting into my merchandise sales. Uh, and then I made a joke about I grew up with two alcoholic parents, so when someone goes down, I just go, hey, put a blanket on that guy. They'll be fine in the morning. You know what I mean? And and that got a big laugh. And so, you know, it, 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 you just kind of riff on the situation of the room, but I'm also not a crowd work comedian. I, I stick to my script mostly. Uh, I don't, a lot of comics, you know, so what do you do for a living and blah, 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 blah. And then they make fun of the audience. I've never liked that. I've never been like that. There's some great comics who do it. It's just yeah. not me. You're so, not doing that. No, I'm not a crowd work guy at all. That's why people go, they don't want to, they go, I don't want to sit in the front row. I don't want to get made fun of. I go, you won't. 
Not on my show. Yeah. I go, I got too much shit to get through. My show's 75 minutes at this point. I don't have time. You've got stories to tell, and exactly. it, they're funny as fuck what yeah. you say. Yeah. I've never had the opportunity to see you live in person on stage, but I have seen a lot of your YouTube video clips, and you are as funny as fuck. There's no doubt about it. Well, thank you, and you're going to be able to see me live on September 16th when I perform at the Sanctuary Performing Arts Center in Ridgeway, Ontario. Yes. Not far from here. So there you go. There's no excuses. Part. I'm yeah. going to be there. You have to. Did you struggle with alcohol and drugs yourself as a youth or as an adult? Nope. Clean. Clean as a whistle. Good for you. You know, you grew up with two alcoholic parents. My my, my mom's, you know, my mom's a very high functioning alcoholic. I wouldn't even call my mom an alcoholic. I would just call my Is mom. Is she listening she, right now? She, she will be, but uh, no, she's a, she's a drinker. My mom's a drinker and she's also a lightweight. My mom only weighs 125 pounds. So wow. three or four glasses of white, white wine and she's sleeping on the couch watching Family Feud. You know what I mean? So... <laughs> Uh, my father was a big man, big, big, big alcoholic, but not a fall down drunk, parlay for the party drunk. You yeah. Know? But unfortunately, twenty five years on the road as a professional wrestler, you know his uh, his body took a toll. My dad was also in an industrial accident where he was run over by a front front end loader, and it severed half of his liver. So Good he, lord! Yes, and he almost died in hospital. This is nineteen ninety two. Um, so when you have half of a liver and you're an alcoholic, things don't generally go for you pretty well. So uh, my dad quit drinking for years, and then he kind of bounced back and he was looking good and feeling good and tanned and hair slicked back and working out again and he actually wrestled again uh, and then everyone's telling him how good he looked. Dan, you look so great. Danny, you're like 20 years younger. So in his mind, he went, I'm healed. I'm fine. I, I regenerated my body. I can yeah. start drinking again. Yeah. Started drinking and it was 18 months later he was dead. You know, his body just couldn't. It just went that's enough. So liver kidney failure, my dad officially died of. But there was, you know, how old was he when he when he passed? Forty nine. Forty nine. Yeah. So young. Yeah. And you were thirteen when you lost 13, him. Thirteen. Yeah. So I'm thirty three now. I'm getting closer to my age now, or my dad's age when he died, than I was, you know, when I when when I was my my age when he died. So you know, it's 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 a long journey. But you know, I drink. I definitely am a, I'm a gin drinker. I uh, but I usually now. What do you put in your gin? Gin and soda. Gin and soda. Two limes. Very simple. I uh, soda's good. I used to drink tonic, and I used to wonder why I was so hungover. But tonic has more sugar than any pop, more sugar than it Coke, does. Pepsi, Seven Up, because they need so much sugar in it. That's what gives it that tart taste. Now there, there's a gin, and I'm sure you've tried it or at least seen it. It's called Empress. Yes, yeah, it turns it's, purple. It's, yeah, it's it turns pur- pink in tonic. Yes. Yeah, purple gin Empress, and it's won a lot of awards. Oh yeah, and it's the tastiest gin oh, I've I ever drink had. It often. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm actually a big Bombay Sapphire guy. I'm a straight across the board Bombay, but I'm working with the Botanist Gin Company now, uh, and also uh, potentially Empress. So uh, I'm such a gin drinker that there's some gin companies approaching me and say, "Hey, we want to be in the Eric Johnson business. You know, what can we do to be connected?" So I just added the Botanist Gin as part of my sponsorship package to my big show happening November 10th at Carmen's. Gin has always been said to be a panty remover. That's right. Any truth to that? Does it? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I'll tell you, you know, again, to answer your question, no, I've never done drugs. I have a joke in my show about how I tried cocaine and I didn't like it. It's a whole story about it and uh, barely smoke weed. Sometimes I'll I'll get uh, sponsors by weed companies for my shows because weed and comedy generally go together pretty well. Yeah. Uh, So they'll give me a bunch of weed, but uh, this company, Divi, who I'll give a shout out to they gave me a bunch of high CBD joints so you don't get fucking high you just kind of get relaxed yes I'll smoke some of those sometimes after a long week but I'm a straight across the board booze man and I can control myself when you watch 
no, not only if my father, you know, my father died of alcoholism, his father died of alcoholism, you know what I mean? It's, it runs in the family. Uh, so I've been very cautious my entire life. I've never, I never drink back to back days unless it's a, you know, vacation or anything like that. And I, uh, I never. Have drink. you ever done steroids? No, I wish. I need to get even bigger than what I am now. <laughs> This is all, I'm all natty, baby. I'm a natural. Uh, but uh, no, but so I've been very, uh, cog, you know, cognizant and aware of that side of my bloodline and been very cautious and been very positive. So yeah, to answer your question, no problems with drugs or alcohol. Now you've performed all over throughout Canada, United States. I know on your website says you've performed at the House of Blues Comedy Store in Hollywood. That must have been a blast going to Hollywood. Yeah, it was uh, my yes and no. Or? Yeah, no, of course it was great. I'm just trying to think of how great it was. You know, I, I cried when I landed at LAX. You know, you work hard, so hard in your career. My first time ever going to Los Angeles. I'm performing at the Comedy Store and I'm opening for Russell Peters. You can't get any bigger than that. That's the top. You know, so I love Russell. I love yeah. Russell too, and I, I, I Russell's Russell's Comedy Now special is the reason why I'm a stand-up comic. Period. One of the many reasons, obviously, in terms of my dad and the history and the comedy and the love for comedy and bizarre. And growing up in Hamilton, and the and the you know close connection to Hamilton in terms of Jim Carrey, Mike Myers, John Candy, all the, the Eugene Levy, Martin Short. I grew up around a lot of great comedy, but Russell Peters' comedy now special. When I watched that, I learned what true stand-up comedy is in terms of a setup and a punchline and a story and a hook and a callback. I went, oh, this is what the art is. Is this is an hour? This is what an hour looks like. And, you know, to have the opportunity to fast forward to open for him and become somewhat buddies with him is, is probably one of the most important things in my career so far. Um, and same with Chicago, the House of Blues. There's so much great comedy that's come out of Chicago. Second City and, the, you know, the Belushi brothers and, you know, John Candy spent some time down there. And, you know, all those Chicago comedy guys to go there and, and headline at the House of Blues and headline at the Laugh Factory. You know, again, these are moments where I'm walking up with my wife and uh, I just realized I wasn't wearing my wedding ring. I took it off when I was doing dishes and I forgot to put it back on. So don't yeah. tell her I'm not wearing my wedding ring. But uh, you know, Hopefully you didn't lose it down the drain. <laughs> no, no, I know exactly where it is. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, my my wife, I'll be walking up and, and I'll be holding her hand and I start to I start to well up. You know, it's, it's extremely... Uh, I work very, 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 very hard. I think anyone who knows me or sees me or has seen me live or follows me online you know they can say one of three things about me eric johnston uh sharp dresser uh really funny hard worker and i don't care in what order you say that was in i'm fine with all three of those things but the biggest thing is i'm a hard fucking worker i'm a hamilton guy you know what i mean in hamilton if you don't hustle you don't eat you know what i mean i grew up in that area i used to watch my dad again circling back to my dad you know, he was a professional wrestler. He'd have to go out and wrestle so we would have, you know, crap dinner and hot dogs. Yeah, you know put I mean? food on the yeah, table. Yeah. yeah. So it was, uh, that was built into me and bred into me. And I thought, if I'm working this hard, like if I have buddies who work straight 12s as, as tradesmen or in construction or whatever, and I go, they have to show up to a, a job that they don't necessarily want to do. For twelve hours every day, it's I a tough. Least, it's I tough. At least owe myself and my everyone who's ever supported me that I'm going to put in twelve hours every day of comedy, booking, making making posters, promotions, selling sponsorships, doing radio shows, you know, doing podcasts, making content. I'm going to put twelve hours a day 
into that and see where I get, and it's made me an amazing career so far. So yeah. Now, do you have an agent, uh, or do you do most of that booking yourself? You're looking at them. It's all yeah. 100%. I've, hi- I've hired and fired so many fucking agents and managers. The thing is, nobody cares about your career as much as you're going to. And Good I have, point. I, I've set an extremely high standard, and I'm not going to just be one of... You know, uh, roster. You know, I I owe I have more respect for myself and more respect for my career than to just wait for the phone to ring. So I make all my own phone calls. I book all my own tours. I make all my own posters. I edit all my own content. I sell all my own sponsorships. I book all my own podcasts and radio shows. I do it all. That being said, I have a, a couple close manager friends who I, in the industry, uh, the term is hip-pocketing, where they don't represent me, but they throw things my way. They say, hey, so-and-so's doing a big event here. You should reach out to them. And I go, okay. So I have one in L.A. and one in Toronto, and they're really good friends of mine. Uh, they're such good friends of mine that I could never officially work with them because I could never fire them because they're some of my best friends in the entire world. So I just kind of keep them you know we kind of keep each other in a working thing and sometimes if one of them gets me a big gig i'll kick them 10 15 percent like as if they were my agent or manager but yeah 99.9999 percent of all eric johnson shows i've booked you've you never know? got caught up in that mark breslin's yuck yucks fuck that comedy chain god damn it no that signs you up and controls yeah, you. No, no, it will not. That you'll never see me in a yuck yucks for multiple reasons. I think I think Mark Breslin and Yuck Yucks, and I can go on record saying this, did a great thing for comedy in the 1980s and early 1990s. Yeah, fantastic. They birthed comedy rooms and comics. They pioneered the a lot of this stuff to get it going. Sure, not anymore. They're controlling. They try to run their business like the mafia. They but. Play, put these great comics on their rosters and they don't promote them. They, you, the thing about Yuck Yucks is you're not going to see that specific co- comedian. When you're coming to see an Eric Johnston show, you're coming to see Eric Johnston. Mar- Yuck Yucks promotes them show itself as a Yuck Yucks comedy night. They rarely even say who's going to be on the show. Uh. They just believe that Yuck Yucks as a brand is strong enough to carry them forward. Unfortunately, it's not anymore. We're living in a new world. And instead of them kind of giving into the new world and embracing comedians and embracing talent, they stay where be- they were. They're becoming more hard headed and more rules and more this. Also, you know, in closing, I know we got to wrap up soon, but I, my biggest problem with, with Yuck Yucks, and again, I'll go on record saying this I don't care. This would be good, good, uh, good heat for your show. Um, <laughs> No, but uh, they have a they have a touring booking manager guy who does their Yuck Yucks Road shows. Named Alex Ross, and I'll name him by first and last name because I don't give a shit. He goes to my website, goes to all, looks at all of my upcoming shows, and calls the venues trying to cancel my shows and turn them into Yuck Yucks traveling road shows, and saying, "Hey, you're taking an incredible risk by booking some." I have a direct quote. He said, "You took an incredible risk by booking some comic that no one's ever heard of." We at Yuck Yucks bring the best in Canadian talent. You should t- cancel Eric Johnston's show and turn it into a Yuck Yucks traveling road show. Thank God the venue owner who we did this to recently had my back and said, "Actually, fuck that. Uh, Eric's show is sold out. I'm a friend of Eric's, and don't ever call here again." You know, but unfortunately, he's that's worked for him. He's called other venues of mine, and these poor venues don't know the difference. So they go, "Oh, okay, let's do a yuck yuck show then." And all of a sudden, I get an email saying uh, that my show's canceled. Uh, but fortunately for me, I have contracts that say I get fifty percent of, of the guarantee, no matter what. So you can go ahead and cancel my show, but it's going to cost you some money. So, anyways, 
in the end, there's I people to, nipping at your ankles. Exactly. I shouldn't end on such a negative note, but the point of that, all of that, is to say to any comics, whether you're starting for the first time or you've been a comic for ten years, is you have to do it yourself. You have to. There's no other option. You have to learn how to be your own booker and agent and manager and and promoter and stuff. Because I've done it and it's working for me. You know, I make a full living as if I worked in the trades. But I get to watch the fucking prices right every day. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm, I'm putting in 12s in my dreams, baby. I got 12 hours of dream work every day. <laughs> you know, there's that uh, there's that saying that, you know, if you're a stand-up comic, you know, you sleep in, uh, you know, every day till 11 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon. But uh, not always the case because, I mean, you're up early. You're doing responding to emails and, oh, yeah. and reaching out to my people. Work day, my work day starts at 8.15. I get up, I have a coffee, by 8.15 I'm sitting at my desk. And that is, and then I did a bunch of work this morning, got in the car, drove an hour to Niagara Falls. I mean, you're not paying me for this. I knew this was, I mean, I was saying everyone, he's not paying me for this. <laughs> uh, but I'm happy to be here and talk about comedy and, t- and help your show and grow your show and my brand and everything. That's what it's all about. Some comics don't have that long-term vision and I wish them well. But And networking with people like you're doing with me course, right, now. right now. And we're eating jelly-filled, cream-filled donuts. So Those cream-filled donuts were great. From Moody's Bakery, downtown Niagara Falls. They do a good job. Uh, I also want to mention that uh, our podcast today is brought to you by Niagara's Mobile Rust Proofing. Niagara Mobile Rust Proofing, Mr. Barry Blanchard. Uh, Call Barry at Niagara Mobile Rust Proofing. Google it, check it out, and you can uh, get in contact with him, get your vehicle rust proofed uh, before wintertime comes. So let's. Talk about and promote your next appearance. You've mentioned it once already on the show. You're coming to Ridgeway. Yeah, September 16th. Saturday, September 16th. I'm performing at the Sanctuary Performing Arts Center uh, in Ridgeway, Ontario. Uh, Also, I just announced yesterday, huge show, November 10th uh, in Hamilton at Carmen's. Carmen's Live presents an evening with Eric Johnston. Uh, It's going to be 500 tickets. I sold 100 tickets yesterday on my first day on sale uh, so this show will sell out get your tickets at ericjohnstonwho.com uh, everything you need to know about me anything you need to find about me is Eric Johnston who E-R-I-C-J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N-W-H-O find me online Instagram Twitter or X whatever it's called now threads I'm everywhere you look for me you'll find me right on thanks for joining me Eric and we'll talk to you soon uh, have yourself a doggone great day see you later everybody bye